Well, if you, you can be seated, and if you like, you could turn to the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John, uh, or the, the text is on the back of your bulletin, as Chad told you. And we will give the last sermon on this gospel, this great gospel. I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss John. Uh, I, I want to remind you as you're turning there, and as you take a look at this text, that John opened up this wonderful gospel with this magnificent hymn. You know, in, in, in Roman's time, uh, in Roman times before uh, there was any kind of uh, storytelling event uh, or great pageant, and that's what John is. It's a great pageant of seeing the eternal come into the earthly. But there, there was always a, there was a hymn to the emperor. And the, in the opening verses of John is, is, is just such a hymn to God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then that, that great opening uh, proceeds to tell us how the whole world was made through this Word. And, and, and the Word was a light and, and life to men, and, and the light still shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not comprehended it. Now, now remember that. The darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not been able to enclose it. Remember that. And then it proceeds to say that the Word became flesh, that the way God entered into history personally was in Jesus Christ. And then some years later, Jesus Christ gives an invitation to the first disciples, follow me. Very simple. And tonight's sermon is going to be very simple. Because this concludes with that same invitation to a now veteran disciple. You see, there are two degrees of following Christ, really. There's a spectrum, really. But the first one is the initial sign-up. When you think you know what you're signing up for, you don't know what you're signing up for. You couldn't possibly know what you're signing up for. Those of you who got married, you thought you knew what you were signing up for. You didn't know what you were signing up for. You couldn't possibly have known what you were signing up for until you signed up. And that's the way it is being a disciple of Christ. You think you know. And so here they go. They start to follow Christ. And by the time we get to this particular scripture, there is a veteran who has failed very evidently. And Jesus comes to him and gives him the same invitation to sign up again. Now that you know what you're signing up for. Now that you know that the power isn't in you, it's in me. Now that you know you're a failure and how much you, do, how much you need me. Now I want you to sign up again. Follow. I, love, to, I love it when, 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 wedding, uh, when man and wife renew their vows after 25 years. They know a little bit of what they're signing up for now. And they're, and they're, and they're, they're re-signing up. And that's what's happening in this great passage. Now, now, I want you to notice that he starts out with Peter when he was young, and Peter's all full of vim and vigor. And it says in verse 18 this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. Remember those days? Remember those days when you were young and it hadn't hit you yet how much you couldn't do? Hadn't, hadn't hit you yet how much power you didn't have. You just thought you could do anything you wanted, be anything you wanted. As a matter of fact, people told us that, didn't they? When we were growing up, you know you're an American. You can be anything you want. And we believed them. <laughs> I thought, well, I think I want to be an NBA basketball player. 
You can't be anything you want. But the point is, you think you can. You know, there are days when you're young before you know any better, when you just soon take off after Moby Dick in a rowboat and tartar sauce. You don't know, you don't know how tough it's going to be. You just have no clue. And that's all, but, but then as you, as you start to go on, as you start to go on in your life and you fail a few times, and it surprises you that you fail. And then some of, the, some of the strongest people you see in life, you see them fail every once in a while. Surprises you. And then the strongest nation in the world, you see it fail every once in a while. Good grief, it can't even elect a president. <laughs> I mean, what's up with that? Somebody sent me an uh, email this week, and it was a note, notice from Buckingham Palace in light of our failure to manage our independence, they're rescinding our independence. <laughs> said, since you guys can't even seem to manage to elect a president, we're just going to take you back, except for Florida, <laughs> which we're giving back to Spain. We don't even want Florida. <laughs> but the point is, he's talking to Peter here, and, 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 and Peter had come to the place in his life where he realized, no, I am weak. I've been one of the strongest people in the crowd all my life, but I am weak, and I do need Christ. And so he said to Peter this, hey, there's the Coulters. Hi, Coulters. Good to see you again. I'll just point you out as I, as I see you in the crowd. <laughs> and, so, and so he says to Peter, he said this. He said, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you to where you do not wish to go. Now he said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, I want you to see a couple of things in this passage before we go further. And that is, there's a, there's a difference between the life that you think you have when you're choosing everything and the life that you realize you have when you're chosen. The life that you realize that you have when you realize your life is in God's hands and all of the circumstances aren't up to you, they're up to God. You see, they said this to Peter because tradition has it that Peter was crucified. He was martyred for the faith. And Jesus said there's going to come a time when you stretch out your hands and others will, will gird you up and put you in a place where you don't want to go. The tradition is that he was crucified, but he was crucified upside down at his own request because he did not feel worthy to be crucified in the manner that our Savior was crucified. But Jesus said, now you're in a place where you can realize you don't know what's coming. Now you're in a place where you can realize that you've been chosen and I want you to do this. Follow me. It's that simple. When I first went to seminary, I, I, my first summer I was in seminary, I, I, had, I got a job as a playground supervisor for the city of Indianapolis. Now, I'm not a very good playground supervisor because I don't play very well. Um, I, I don't know many games, and I've just never been a gamey kind of person. But, but I did know sports, so every time the kids came to the playground, I'd divide them up into teams. I knew how to do that. And those, those were the old days where you toss the bat, you know, and you do the hands on top of the bat, and you do this, and the guy that does this gets to choose the teams. And, and, uh, and so we always... And, and I noticed something, a good part into that summer, that when we, when we divided for football, and we always did because that's the game I knew the best, 
when we divided for football, there was a difference between the people who were just there to play and the people who thought they might want to play football in the future. They might, they, when, we, when they were chosen on the teams, the people who were just there to play just kind of, you know, played around. They didn't do much. They kind of picked the flowers while everybody was running for passes. And, you know, they might run out for a pass, but they didn't really mean it. They were saying hi to their friends, kind of getting in conversations about who they talked to. And so, but the people who really wanted to be football players, who said, I'd like to do this in the future, they felt chosen on this team. And because they knew they were chosen and because they knew they wanted to do this in the future, they were serious business about it. And they did it to the best of their ability, whether or not their friends were on their team. When Jesus said, follow me, he was saying to Peter, this is your future. This is serious business. This isn't something you play around with. This is something you've got to pay attention to. And you've got to do your very best. And he knew that Peter would be going through all kinds of stress. I know that when you walked in here tonight, many of you are going through terrific stress. Because you're at a place in your life you never thought you'd be. You never planned on this place. But, but you're here. You know, when, a, when an architect builds a bridge, he has to take into consideration three kinds of what they call weights. Dead weight, live weight, and wind weight. The, in other words, the bridge has to support itself. That's called dead weight. In your life, there is dead weight. Now, I'm not referring to your spouse. I'm referring to you. In your life, there is dead weight. That's the life, that the weight that comes with your own life, with all the details of your life. And everybody has to carry around just the weight of life. Those of you who are getting older feel the dead weight every time you get out of bed in the morning, you know? It's getting tougher. You crank it up. Every time you get out of chair at night, it gets tougher. You get running, and, 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 and it gets, it gets tough. That's dead weight. But the, but, but the bridge always has to at least support itself, doesn't it? And you've always got to have a time in your life, whether you're healthy or not, that you're at least supporting yourself. That's dead weight. And then there's live weight. And that's the traffic that comes over that bridge. Because people are going to depend on that bridge. And that traffic will go in different patterns at different times. It'll be heavier, heavier at times than, than at other times. And some of you right now are having tremendous traffic in your life. You're having more people depend upon you than you ever thought they would. And more people are, are, are needing you for support than you ever thought they would. And that's live weight. And when God designed you, he designed you for live weight. You just hadn't anticipated it. But there's a third one. That's wind weight. That has nothing to do with the traffic. That has everything to do with the elements, with the forces, with the storms of life. That bridge has to support, it has to stand up and be stable when the circumstances around it are beaten down on it. And some of you right now aren't having problems with people, you're having problems with circumstances. And you're going through a horrible storm right now. And so when Jesus looked at Peter, he said, you know, you're going to face some very heavy things in the future. And here's what you do. And here's what all of you do who are having to support all of that weight, follow me. That's what he said. You follow Jesus. You keep your eyes focused on the author and finisher of your faith. It is that simple. It's not easy. 
But it's that simple. And let me tell you why it's not easy. Because immediately when we focus on Christ, we're going to get tempted from the adversary. We're going to get, we're going to get uh, distracted by two things, circumstances and people. Look at the next verses. Look at what it says in verse 19 through 23. I'm sorry, verse 20 through 23. Peter, turning around, saw a disciple whom Jesus loved, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them, the one who also had leaned back on his, on his bosom, that's Jesus' bosom, at the supper and said, Lord, who is, it the, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore, this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come. What is that to you? Now, let me say a couple of things. Let me start from the back end, the, 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 the B under Roman numeral two instead of the, instead of the A. There was a circumstance, a tie, uh, by this time, a tradition tied to the timing of the Lord's return. There was a rumor that the Christ would return before the beloved disciple, the writer of the Gospel, John, died. And, and John knew that, and so he wanted to record this conversation so that people would quit wasting their time trying to figure out when something was going to happen and be distracted by that rather than focusing on Christ. How much of your time do you spend trying to figure out when something's going to happen? Worrying about when something's going to happen. You're all waiting and you're all thinking, well, maybe this has to happen before this, and maybe this has to happen before this, and maybe this has to happen. And Jesus is saying, that's none of your business. No, it's, it's given to no man to know the times and the seasons. So don't worry about that. You Follow me. This is very emphatic in the Greek. In the Greek, follow is in the present tense, which means you do it again and again and again and again. It isn't something you decide to do just once. But Jesus would say, keep following me. You following me? Okay, keep on. Come on, come here. Follow me. Now follow me again. Now follow me again. Now, it calls for continuous and repeated action. That's what the tense of this verb says. And so what he's saying is you have to constantly decide to follow Christ. Because all of these cares of the world are going to try to distract you. It also says that he was worried about what was going to happen to John. Now, I, I frankly don't know what his relationship is, what Peter's relationship is with John at this time. I know that from reading the gospel, you can see a little friendly competition going on between them. Um, and, and he could be saying, um, well, Lord, what about him in that Peter could have had kind of a envy of John. You know, John was very, very insightful uh, about spiritual matters. He, he was the writer of the gospel. And Peter was very, very zealous, but not very insightful. John was always the first to see the light, first one to believe, and then Peter was the first one to carry through on it. And so he could have been, he could have been kind of envious of John's capability. And you know what happens when that happens. Remember Saul, King Saul? He pretty much kept his eyes on the Lord until, King, until David, not King David, David came along. 
And somebody started chanting, Saul has slayed his thousands, and David his ten thousands, and Saul got jealous. And Saul took his eyes off the Lord to put them on David because he wanted that kind of adulation. Some of you may be wishing tonight, you know, I wish I had that kind of marriage they got. Some of you may be, may be wishing tonight, you know, I, I wish I had the good kids they got. I, I, I don't know what happened. Some of you may be wishing tonight, you know, I wish there was just one month that I didn't struggle trying to make the bills, trying to have enough money to live. They, they never struggle with that. I, I, I wish I had that. And if you spend your time there, guaranteed, you're going to be taking your eyes off the Lord. You're going to be distracted from the very thing that will build you up into what you want to be and what God wants you to be. But, but maybe he was looking at John and he was just whining. You know how we are. When the Lord gives us a job, we'd start looking around and say, well, what about them? When you were little and your mama said, I want you to wash the dishes, what did you do? You looked around your brothers and sisters and said, well, what about them? And, and because you didn't want to be the only one doing the job. And, and, and maybe, maybe he had just said, you know, the Lord said, Peter, I want you to follow me. Man, you're going to have it rough. And he looked around and said, well, how about John? And what did Jesus say? That's none of your affair. Don't, don't go there. We tend to do that. Maybe some of you feel like you're working so hard right now, and there is some freeloader in your life. There is somebody who is just sitting on their couch <laughs> or chair, as it were. And you're thinking, I am working so hard and they're not working. God, what about them? This is what Jesus would say to you. They're none of your affair. You leave them to me. You remember this happened to Martha, don't you? When Jesus went to the house and Martha was all over the place, and then she started whining. Lord, tell my sister to help me. I'm doing all this by myself. <laughs> Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, <laughs> you're really busy about a lot of stuff. But he said, Martha, there's only a few things that are really important, really only one that's necessary. Mary's paying attention to me. I don't know, maybe Peter was looking at John and he was feeling some of the unfairness of the world because you know how we like to have everything equal. And, 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 and maybe he was saying, it's not fair that I should be doomed to martyrdom and he's not. It's not fair, you know, that, 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 that we have such different situations. It's just not fair. Some of you may be looking at, at, at other circumstances in your life right now, and, and, and you may say, be saying, why have they got that and I don't have this? And, and, and it may be from a very good standpoint, why do they have all the tragedy and I walk through Scott clean? I can't believe how I've been blessed. This doesn't make any sense. And so you're kind of fussing with God about the fairness of life because it isn't like you'd make it. You remember the older brother of the prodigal son? You remember what that was? You remember he, he went out and he, and he, and he, and he, he got all of, the, all of the funds that were due him and, he, and this younger prodigal son went out and he blew him on all these parties and then he came home. 
And his dad loved him anyhow. Took him in, spent more money on him, throw him in a party. And you remember what the older brother's attitude was, don't you? That's not fair. I've been with you all my life. I've worked every day of my life. And the father said, you know what? You're my son. You, anything I have is yours. And what did the older brother do? No, he wanted to get in a snit. He wanted to pout. And so he took himself out of the party and away from the father. Some of you may be distracted right now because you'd rather pout than be with God. You, you kind of got a little snit going. And you'd rather be angry. And you're taking yourself out of the party. And you're not paying near the attention to God as you are to your version of fairness. Or some of you, maybe this was it. And I'll stop here because I could go on for a very long time. <laughs> as you have noticed. But some of you may just be like Peter may have been with John. Maybe Peter was saying, Lord, I can't go on without him. Can John come with me? I, I don't want this advancement without John. Some of you may genuinely care for people in your life, and you're saying, you know, I, if they can't be happy, I can't be happy. If they can't be fulfilled, I can't be fulfilled. If they can't, if they can't walk like I'm walking or be included on in what I'm doing, then I really can't do it. And Jesus would say this to you, that's none of your business. I have a different path for them than I have for you. You've got to respond to what I say to you. You follow me. That is the key. We've got to follow Christ. Now, I want to say to you in the last couple of verses, there's something very important because when you look at how difficult it is to simply follow Christ in this life, to focus on him because there are many distractions. You have to look at the reasons why you're so distracted. And part of the reason why we're so distracted is because we want to control life. We feel like if we pay more attention to life, then we'll get our life in order and then we'll come to God. God says it's just the opposite. He says, as a matter of fact, you'll never get your life in order until you come to me because I'm the one that gives order to the universe. I'm the one that orders everything. You come to me first. And one of the things that we've got to read is the last couple of verses. Look at what it says. This is the disciple who testified to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. We know that his testimony is true. In other words, and oh, let me read the last verse, and then I'll, then I'll preach a little bit. It says, and, the, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. See the reflection of the first part of John. He's saying this is such magnificent mystery that we can't possibly comprehend it. It mirrors the first end of the gospel. But here was the gospel writer's concern. That we know that the truth is not a concept, the truth is a person. That we know that the truth is not something that comes in facts. You see, most people want to control the world by knowing more facts. By, by being able to, to operate or manage the world better. By be, being able to use technology or, or different management principles or something. And they, and they just want to manage the world. However, 
It doesn't work like that. Scientists tell you it doesn't work like that. Those who, know, who are supposed to know the most facts, if they're honest, say reality is more mysterious than they can ever capture with facts. Matt Cahill is a scientist, and he said, you know, when I was young, I wanted to know the facts. I wanted to have certainty of life, so I became a scientist. He said, later I learned that that was a little bit like becoming a priest so I could meet girls, you know? It just, <laughs> th- th- it was a bad strategy, just a bad strategy. Because even when you, when you, what, what you want is in front of you, there's a little screen there and you can't do anything. He said, science, science is that which tells us a little bit about the mystery we can't possibly comprehend. That helps us manage a little bit of the reality we can't possibly control. I love that. And so here is John saying, I've told you all these things, and it gives you the truth, and the truth is more magnificent than you can ever comprehend, but yet that's what I want you to pay attention to. That's what I want you to pay attention to. There is a sense in which we feel like if we can just simplify this thing enough, if we can just get it in terms that we can understand or we can control, then somehow everything's going to be all right. In the first place, that's a false assumption. You can't possibly dumb down the complexity of the world in a compartment that anybody can understand. I heard a story once. It's a pagan story, but it'll serve my purpose. About a, uh, about a, um, um, a faculty party. It was a party where they had liquor, and, and the, the faculty members of this university were kind of getting, uh, getting all boozed up and and you know, there were, there, two of the people there were, were the religion of the professor of religion and, uh, and the uh, uh, astronomy professor. And, and the astronomy professor was kind of getting a little buzz on. And, and you know, when people get drunk, they always want to talk about God. Isn't that funny? It's just odd. It's true. I mean, I, I've had it all my life. People, people get drunk, they want to talk about God. So, so this guy gets a little buzz on. He goes over to the religion professor. And he says, you know, I've been thinking about this religion thing that you, that you do. And so he said, I have come to the conclusion, see if you don't agree with this, that all religions are just kind of the same and, and it all can be boiled down into, into do unto others as you would have others do unto them. You know, that golden rule thing. Don't you agree with that? And the religion professor looked at him and said, well, I guess you could say that as long as you could say that all of astronomy boils down to twinkle, twinkle, little star. <laughs> you can't boil it down. The world is too, too, and here's the deal. You don't want to. You don't ever want to worship a God or follow a God that you can understand, that's a, that, that fits in your mind. And so when Jesus said, follow me, he was, he was calling you on a great, mysterious relationship. He was calling you on a, on, a, on, a, on a thing that you can't simplify to the point where you can fully understand what you're doing. The, the other, the, last week, um, the, uh, um, uh, the pastors and elders were, were looking at the vision and mission statement and, and the, the whole idea of the distributed church. And I thought, well, you know, we, we ought to simplify this thing so everybody can kind of pass along a kind of a two-line definition. And so we worked and all day, you know, we tried to boil it down to a two-line definition. Then we took it to the staff, got a very surprising reaction. And the reaction was basically this. What are you doing? What are you doing? You can't, 
You don't want to dumb this thing. You don't want to simplify this so that people can automatically think they can comprehend it or automatically think they can do it. This is something only God can do. And if God's not in it, we're all sunk. You've got to keep that perspective, that global perspective. You've got to keep that perspective. I like that. I like that. So out of all the stresses of your life, out of all of the confusions that you're going through right now, what would Jesus tell you to do? Follow me. What does that mean? I tell you, if you focus on him, you'll find out every day what it means. It'll occur to you exactly what it means. Now, I want to give you an invitation to commit to do that. And I'm going to have two old-fashioned altar calls tonight. But before we get there, I don't want your brain to outrun your heart. So I want to invite uh, Tim and Michelle out. And we're just going to take time out and just listen to an old spiritual. And then I'm going to give you an invitation.